electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it's a Bitcoin bonanza. The new CNBC documentary, Bitcoin Boomer Bust, premieres tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. That's uh, about an hour away from right now. We've got two big guests to get you all amped up. None other than Bitcoin Jesus, Roger Veer, will join us later this hour, and the founder of Litecoin and controversial crypto legend, Charlie Lee. We'll get to all that in just a bit. But we start off with what fueled today's market rally, a huge step forward in ending the trade war. Kayla Tausch is in D.C. with all the details. Hi, Kayla. Hey, Melissa, at least ending one front in that trade war, and that's NAFTA, the U.S. and Mexico finding some common ground on some of the more contentious issues like content requirements for cars made in the region and wages for workers making them. Also, the time frame of the deal, the U.S. says it'll be reviewed often and will last for 16 years. That's a big change from the U.S.'s prior proposal to have the deal expire after just five years. Mexico is calling it a comprehensive understanding, not a deal per se, uh, but says it could stand alone if no deal is reached with Canada this week, though that is Mexico's preference and the country was very clear. Here is White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow just a few moments ago on the prospects for a Canada deal. We really would like a deal with them. There are a bunch of issues. We've been at it for some time. They know the issues. We know the issues. Uh, but I must say, from time to time, the president has said, if we can't reach a good, strong, fair deal with Canada, we might have to resort, the U.S. might have to resort uh, to auto tariffs. Those auto tariffs would be added to the steel and aluminum tariffs already in place on North America that were not undone with today's agreement. And also the possibility of another massive tranche of tariffs on China. That's really the 800-pound gorilla here. And it won't come into focus again for another few weeks. Talks between the U.S. and China last week ended with a whimper, and the White House moved forward today with an aid package for farmers hit by retaliation. You know, Melissa, a lot of people are trying to draw parallels between the NAFTA situation and that with China, saying that this is potentially a good signal. The difference is Mexico and Canada, they are negotiating a deal that has already been in place, that businesses already work within and like, and they're both willing negotiating partners. You can't really say that about China. Yeah, very good point there. Kayla, thanks. Kayla Tausch in Washington. And with the record run, with that, the record run rages on. The Dow crashing through 26,000 for the first time since February. Both the S&P and the Nasdaq making fresh all-time highs with the Nasdaq cruising through 8,000 for the first time ever. So is this the beginning of the end of the trade war? And if so, what areas of the market can you still buy? Guy Adami. Hi, Melms. Love that. That's like from that show on NBC. The Apprentice? That show. <laughs> One of my favorites. That makes sense. Doesn't it? Yes. So, look, the fact that the S&P is now above the January highs at 2880 level or so, I think that's really encouraging. So what does it mean? Probably means we're in a new sort of parameters for the market. And I do think we continue to grind higher. Caveat being, I just bring this up to bring it up. VIX was actually higher today. I won't make a big deal of it. One day is not a trend make, but it's worth pointing out. But I think uh, uh, Kayla hit it at the top of the show. 
He won the trade war maybe on half a front, but the China trade war is really where the Yankees beat the Orioles this weekend four games. It's a big deal because all those games count. But you know what? The Red Sox are the team they have to catch. Same way, yeah, Mexico's a big deal, the environment but it's the changed. Chinese we have to beat. I think the environment has changed. So when everyone was so pessimistic, pessimistic with trade war, now you start to see the light at the end of the tunnel and you want to buy the market. Running out of daylight going into year end, mm -hmm. so I think it's still a buy. I want to buy the trade stocks underperformers. So the bath, so the trade, the stocks that we saw go up in value today, the industrials, the car makers, the car, auto parts. Car makers, makers have been thrown out. When was the last time you got Ford under ten? Right. And you've had you had a weaker dollar today, which yes. is going to help some of those multinationals. So I mean, I don't even know if this could be this could be a melt hire, not so much even a grind hire. We can melt hire if you think about it. We have the best performing economy in the world. We have a lower dollar, and you know that I believe that the dollar is the new VIX, so lower is better for, for economies. Our economy is going well. People are putting money into this country. Where does it go? It goes in the stock market, it goes into the bond market. It would not surprise me to see a melt-up based on this move forward. We didn't even mention what happened in China in terms of the stability of the yuan helping the dollar go lower. We yeah, had right. the yuan arrest a 10-week losing streak, which is key when it comes well, to the, how, how the markets are perceiving where we are in the trade war. Because it shows the policymakers there are, are rational players. And I, I've always believed that they are. In fact, I think they're, they're, the stability in their currency, Larry Kudlow talked about it in this last episode. But, you know, either way, um, they've been working towards being on the global stage as a clearinghouse, as a currency, as a place to do business. So I think they're going to do what they have to do and they're going to separate it. But I, I think you bring up another interesting point is, is how about the rest of the world? Because when I think about a trade deal getting done here and I look at Europe having underperformed the U.S. by 20 percent in the last year, uh, and that's a much more important trade alliance than Mexico. Let's be really clear. And I think we want to get that done as well. So, uh, you know, I would be looking for some of those global trades, whether it's owning Germany in dollar terms, EWG. Uh, but either way, emerging markets closed above the 50-day. They have been assaulted, and much, much of that are Chinese Internet names. Those are the places I would be looking right Do you now. think this advance was too premature? Given this is, this is an agreement, quote-unquote agreement, because nothing's actually been agreed to with Mexico, not with Canada yet. So on, on your point of a half a front, it's really a quarter of a front but it, <laughs> at this point. It shows to me that there, there are, at the end of the day, constructive negotiations going on on a bilateral basis, as we heard from the president. So that's encouraging. That will not be... Look, the crux of the China trade discussions is unrelated to what we're doing with autos. And, and say what you want about steel and whatnot. It's all about technology. It's all about China made in 2025 where we're very concerned about their willing or their desire to assert themselves. But, but I think the market has to trade off of where they think the puck is going to be. So even though it's a quarter of it, we had zero. No, we had zero Hockey less. metaphor. Skating to where the That's puck's right. going to be. Sorry. So we had so zero the puck's less. out there. You right. Go, uh, right. To where you think it. it's going to be, it. not where it is. So Guys, we had zero last not week. A we had 25% of that trade uh, tariff talk. Now we start to see... Is it going to be short covering? Is it going to be the unwind? Is it going to be rotation? Probably all of the above, and I think you have to be in the market. Mm -hmm. But what's the bigger deal here, NAFTA or China? Oh, well, China, of course. China. But that's what yeah. but that, the market's anticipating that. Here's the mentality right now of portfolio managers. Do I want to wake up tomorrow and there's some movement on the China front and all of a sudden the stock market's up 2% and I'm underinvested? That's the fear. That's the FOMO right now. And that's why I think you could have a melt-up. Now, whether or not we get a China deal is irrelevant today to investors because they're trying to anticipate 
as Steve mentioned, where that little disc goes. It's a hockey puck, correct? <laughs> what, what, what's very interesting here, though, is, again, we've put off any real China till after midterm elections, or so it seems. And that's right. very important, I think, for this administration. And by the way, um, with good news happening here, you know, maybe this is the best or thing have we, that they could have. Or have we? Or, or, or well, are we going to Chinese, see it? That's what the Chinese delegation that's what they, that's said. That's what they, they said. They said until after midterms. Right. right. So, Which, so we can see they're playing as hard a ball as Trump is playing that's here, and I think they have here. to. Balls and Balls pucks. And pucks. It's yeah. too confusing. Sports, all sports metaphors. But you yeah. mentioned this sort of this being underinvested in the notion that something will happen in the trade war and the markets will melt up 2% easy. Right. That could happen much more so in China, a market that's down, what, about 20% year to date. We see something happen. We saw in the Shanghai Composite overnight where we had stability in the yuan and all of a sudden it was up almost 2%. You're going to have a 3 or 4% move and absolute, without question. But who's better suited to play the long game at this point, the Chinese or, the, or us? And I would submit it's the Chinese. President Xi doesn't have to run for re-election ever. He's got the job as long as he wants, frankly. Our guy's got to run again in a year, year and a half. So I think they're far better suited. And quite frankly, they probably have a lot more leverage than we think they have. So here's an ultimate would you rather. And I'll give it to the ambassador since he's mm. probably the, the best equipped to handle this one. Um, U.S. markets at all-time highs or the Chinese markets right now? If the U.S. continues to chug higher, the rest of the world's going to do better. And as we like to say, you make the most money when things go from horrible to just bad. Um, and I wouldn't even say it's horrible, but these are over, oversold, again, on a relative basis. If you did the ratio of the EEM against the SPY or the EWG, Germany, against the SPY, these are extreme levels of oversold. All right, so emerging markets is the yes. answer. All right. So at the markets at record highs, where do you find value? Let's bring in Bessemer Trust Chief Investment Officer, Rebecca Patterson. Rebecca, it's always good to see you. Thanks. Good to be here. Um, what are you telling clients to do right now at record highs? Stay invested. We we got a little more defensive about a year and a half ago. So granted, we were a little early. We went from being overweight equities to neutral, and we're very happy with where we're sitting right now. We've used kind of a barbell approach. So we've been overweight tech for the last few years. That's obviously helped our performance a lot. But then we've also had some managed volatility, some more defensive exposure. So being neutral in the defensive helps us with the volatile periods like we had at the beginning of this year. And the tech and some of the consumer discretionary has helped us get get the returns we need for our clients. Is it time to be rotating into more of the value-oriented stocks at this point? I mean, the action that we saw in the markets today, very interesting. We saw the financials with a nice uh, gain in today's session, even though the yield curve actually got flatter, about 20 basis points or so. Yeah. Um, and, and that makes you think maybe this, this notion that it's time to go into value is really kind of, you know, keeping hold here. Uh, I mean, value is definitely underloved or completely unloved is probably a better phrase for it right now. So there probably are pockets in there to play in. Um, financials are interesting. I worry that the curve is going to keep flattening for, for a variety of reasons, from Treasury issuance at the front end and the Fed to a lot of global factors push keeping the long end down. Um, that's one factor among many that's going to drive the financials. But um, we have a little bit in there right now. But I, I, I'm... I would be hesitant. I wouldn't have enough conviction to go full bore into value right but, now. But financials outperformed everything today. How do you explain that? It's one day. It's one day. Uh, I, I don't sure. try to explain Not. anything that happens in a 24-hour period. <laughs> it could be the wind blowing my hair back. It could be anything. <laughs> um, I do think your point is really a good one on EM. I think one needs to be active there. You don't want to use ETFs to express that view mm -hmm. right now. There is value in there. I also think Europe's interesting because when we... When we think about these trade wars, you know, I would guess the administrations gain a lot more pressure from donors, from voters, from businesses in the auto sector. And mm -hmm. that's more of a yeah. domestic play that you want to be careful with. 
so I think resolution on the auto front seems relatively more likely than China front in the short term. That's going to benefit Europe more than China. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're looking for pockets of value besides the value style, I would think Germany is interesting. Italy is still a huge wild card to me and perhaps a really ugly one. But Germany, I think, probably does have some value right now. It plays on China. It plays on the U.S. and it plays on a resolution on autos. So we were talking about, we talked a lot about China, and that is kind of the, the tougher negotiation. When do you get worried that this negotiation has gone too far mm -hmm. and is starting to do damage? So, you know, I, I happened to spend a week in China this summer, which was an amazing trip. And it was interesting to me that already in July, the Chinese government was giving subsidies to export-related firms. So we talk about the farmers here in the U.S. They already started a few months ago. So they know that they need to manage the pain to keep the economy afloat, to keep social and political stability. They're there. The currency move over the weekend is meant to, I think, help negotiations with the U.S. We don't want, they don't want the U.S. coming after them as a currency manipulator. So fine, stabilize the currency, prevent capital outflows, focus on the fiscal stimulus. But I think they're going to play the long game, to your point earlier. I think they have more leverage than America gives them credit for. All right. Rebecca, great to see you. Thank you. Great being here. Rebecca Patterson of Bessemer Trust. What we do today, Guy? I didn't think it was. It's not today, obviously. Big Cap Pharma was down across the board. But I still think healthcare outperforms in this tape. I think the names like Pfizer and Lilly and the biotech that Tim and I just talked about on the closing bell, I think that space still works. Frasso? I'm, I'm looking at Ford. I think below 10 is still attractive. I want to see if it's more than, as Rebecca said, more than the financials, a one-hit wonder, one-day wonder. So I'm looking at Ford. I'd probably be a buyer if it continues the strength above 10 this week. Some of these resource names really do look oversold. And, and the, the dollar's weakness, I think, continues. Watch 94.50 in the DXY. We're going to do a cannabis sector in the third block. I mean, selling upside calls and things that are having ferocious moves um, where your long covered calls is what I've been doing there. Speakers. Well, I, you know, I'd look again. We're still trade war. So look at something like Magna International, MGA. That's your Canadian auto play. So if you think that there's going to be a deal out there, MGA is going to be the one that's going to respond best. All right. And joining us tomorrow on the trade deal and more, Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin will join Squawk Box at 8 a.m. Eastern time. You won't want to miss that. Coming up, Tesla will stay public for now. Elon Musk saying he will not be taking the company private after all. But could this be just the beginning of more problems for the CEO? We've got the details. Plus, pot stocks are on fire. Speculation of another big deal sweeps the market. But our cannabis king, Tim Seymour, is wow. going to weed out the rumors for you. Holy uh, God. smoke at him, aren't you? And later, we are 45 minutes away from the special CNBC documentary, Bitcoin Boomer Bust. We've got two big guests, Bitcoin Jesus Himself, Roger Veer, will join us, and so will the man who dumped crypto near the top, the founder of Litecoin, Charlie Lee. He will join us as well. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla CEO Elon Musk saying over the weekend, hey, you know what? Let's just call the whole thing off, announcing late Friday night that he is no longer planning to take the company private. But while his plan to take the company private appears to be over, the legal struggles may not be. Phil LeBeau's got the details. Hey, Phil. 
Hey, Melissa, an interesting three-week flirtation with taking Tesla private. In a note that was sent out uh, from Tesla on Friday night, Elon Musk summarized his reasons for deciding that the company's better served remaining public as opposed to going private. The chief one being that he thought it would be too much of a distraction. Gee, who would have suggested that when he brought up the idea? He wrote, I knew the process of going private would be challenging, but it's clear that it would be even more time-consuming and distracting than initially anticipated. Those are the reasons that he gave on Friday night. Let's focus on what the future holds for Tesla. You still have the SEC investigation. That is not going away. Questions remain about Elon Musk's leadership. Nobody's expecting him to step down as CEO, but does the board put some pressure on him to bring in some other executives to help him in running the company, perhaps take a little bit off of his plate? And then finally, the question of whether or not the company can be profitable in the third quarter. As you take a look at shares of Tesla, a couple other things to keep in mind. First of all, the company is expecting to raise capital by the estimation of most analysts. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but many believe that it will happen. Also, they've got about $900 million in convertible bonds due next March. So that's going to be factoring into the decision about uh, raising capital, most likely, over the next couple of months. And then two legal things to keep in mind. One is the question of whether or not Tesla is now primed, if you will, to get a lot of shareholder lawsuits because of the tweet saying we've got funding secured at $420. That may come up over the next several weeks or months. And earlier today, a judge dismissed a shareholder lawsuit against Tesla. It was filed by somebody, Melissa, who said, you know what? They set targets for Model 3 production. They couldn't meet those production targets. The judge said, no, that's not how this works. Security laws protect companies from not achieving production targets. It wasn't like they were deceiving people. They set these targets out there. They had all the caveats in there that things may not happen. And therefore, the judge dismissed the lawsuit. You know, Phil, when I spoke to you earlier this morning, you're sort of giving us the roundup of, of what the analysts on the street were saying about Tesla. Overall, the bullish analysts, are they still just as bullish or has... Um, some of the bloom come off the rose, to quote one of the analysts that you quoted. Yeah, that, and that was Joe Spack who yeah. wrote that, saying the bloom is off the rose a little bit. I would say the bullish analysts remain bullish, though they admit that this three-week exercise, whatever you want to call it, does raise questions about the credibility from Elon Musk and from the Tesla board. They don't think it's criti you know, uh, crippling and that it'll slow down Tesla. So they're still bullish, although they admit the last three weeks has them saying, hmm, maybe things should change a bit. All right, Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau uh, out in Chicago for us. What should happen to Tesla then at this point, if anything, in your view? Uh, a COO? Yeah, a new that's CEO, the, a COO, a some, some type of operator that's been in the automotive business that can come in and start running this. You can have Elon Musk as your visionary founder. They're creating all these new products, but you need to have somebody come in and do that. Now, the second thing you have to worry about here is raising money. And you look at the Tesla bonds today, they were actually down. So the bond market, at least in the Tesla, is saying it might be a little more difficult to raise some money. So that is an overhang for Tesla right now. I think a stronger board as well would help. I think BK would agree with that. And listen, I, I agree with what Phil just said. I thought when he came out with that tweet, when the stock was 375, I thought for certain that thing was going to make a beeline to 420. I was wrong. So what Wait, do you do at this point? Can I unpack I, you know, that for just a second? You thought that a, a beeline to 420 because Absolutely. you believed that funding was 100%. secured. As you should have. Right. 100%. I mean, okay. That's what the yeah. CEO told you. I mean, he told you. I mean, it seemed logical to me that if he told you sure. that, there has to be something behind it. I was clearly wrong. Yeah. And obviously, a lot of people were. 
don't know if the word duped is correct, but so I'm in the same place. I remain bullish. I think the trajectory of the stock was going there anyway prior to him saying that. But now you're in sort of that no man's land. And that's the problem yeah. with the SEC, though, that Phil talked about, that, that if it really right. happens this time, and he said funding was secured, that's a real problem with domino effect, and that's not going to clear that quickly. SEC investigations take some time. So that guy level that he always talks about, 286, that's been supporting the name to, from back till June. That remains supporting the name as of recently, but I would not be – I'm not in the stock now, and I don't think I'd touch it until you start to see anything clear. I, I just think that this actually takes the pressure um, off of – you know, or, or puts – we put it differently. There's a lot of pressure now on the operational side. Yeah. I mean, you know, ultimately you get to this place where you've taken this glow off the man. I don't think any I, – I, I can't speculate on SEC, but I'm not worried about that if I'm a Tesla shareholder. I'm actually just mm. worried about the fact that the operational reality of this company and possibly needing to raise some capital in a different environment yeah. is, is front and center. While BMW, the i3 and the Chevy Volt, I mean, those, those cars are getting a lot of attention for being high-quality competitors at a time when they can ramp up. I'm not sure that Tesla could get to mass I think that's a good that. point. The free pass afforded to Elon Musk may not necessarily be there in early October, the next time the company reports so the next, So the next capital raise, if there is a capital raise, where's almost every one of them been a huge buying opportunity. I don't even know if you got an opportunity to do buy on the raises. Next one might not be so much an opportunity, I think, to BK's point. That's what the bond market's telling you. So these, there are overhangs, right? We don't know if there's going to be a new CEO. They've got to raise money. To Tim's point, there's production. Now the focus is on production. You better hit those numbers now because that's all you're doing. So there's so many overhangs that I don't think you have to buy the stock here. All right, still ahead. The crypto craze hasn't gone anywhere in ahead of tonight's brand new documentary, which premieres at 6 p.m. Two crypto legends, Roger Veer and Charlie Lee, will be here. They'll talk about the state of the market and where they're placing their crypto bets right now. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's just shares of surging AMD. And you won't believe how high one of our traders sees it going. Plus, you the magic well, investors who pass on pot stocks might be making a big mistake as cannabis names continue their surge. And potmaster Tim Seymour will tell you which one is the best one to buy right now when Fast Money returns. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link 
your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money Pot Sox. Catching fire with some big names surging on Friday and again today. Aditi Roy is in San Francisco with more on the cannabis craze. Hi, Aditi. Hi, Melissa. Cannabis stocks have been on a tear recently, and industry insiders say deal news could be fueling this latest surge. Tilray shares soared today after the company reached an agreement with Nova Scotia Liquor Corporation for an initial purchase of adult-use cannabis. There are also reports that UK-based spirits maker Diageo, behind brands from Johnny Walker to Bailey's, might be talking to at least three Canadian cannabis companies about a possible deal. Diageo not commenting on speculation about the specific deal, but adding, we are monitoring this space closely. This follows Constellation Brands' $4 billion investment in canopy growth a couple of weeks ago. People on the street saw that move as a huge validation of the industry, and many are wondering who's next. Tilray, Kronos, Canopy Growth, Aurora, and Afria have all seen shares go up between 50 and 107 percent in the last two weeks. In a statement, Aurora Cannabis says about deal speculation in the industry, there is so much happening in this area right now, and we think it has incredible potential. The Constellation deal also made some believe that legalization in the U.S. may not be as far off as many of us think. As one analyst told me, all of a sudden, the addressable market for Canadian companies is not just Canada, but also the U.S. market. It's a big change that investors weren't paying attention to before the Constellation deal. One thing worth noting is that even though these are high-flying names, they have relatively low short interest. And another thing to keep an eye on, Tilray reports its first earnings as a public company tomorrow. Back to you guys. All right, Aditi, thanks. Aditi Roy in San Francisco. So what could be the next deal to ignite the pot space? Our own cannabis king, Tim Seymour, is over at the Plasma to break it down. Tim. Hey, Mel, so as you can see on the screen here, we're at least outlining some potential players. And if you've been focused on this sector over the last week, not only do you know about the, the Constellation deal, but you've heard rumors of Diageo being a major player. And, and ultimately, it comes to uh, a, a dynamic here. Who would they be interested in buying? Obviously, they would be buying some critical mass of one of the big Canadian three that remain, although Aurora's not up there. All of these names are interesting candidates. People have talked about Afria because, frankly, this is the cheapest name in, in the business. When you think of the big three, Tilray, ridiculously expensive, frankly. And again, going into earnings tomorrow night, um, that's for investors uh, a name that I, I would be more cautious on here. But ultimately, you know, who is the right fit for Diageo? Bottom line is Afria's chief commercial officer also came from Diageo. People will do with this news what they want. Molson Coors, we learned about three weeks ago, has done a deal with Hydropothecary where they're going to make infused cannabis beverages in a separate JV vehicle with them. So these guys are already in the space, obviously a Canadian Canadian roots here. Uh, the big the big kind of Magilla is obviously Budweiser. And who would they be a buyer of? And again, is it Kronos? Is it Tilray? I, I don't think it's important to speculate here on the names as much as it is to understand the dynamic of what's going on in the industry. 
As a guy who's been investing in emerging markets, new asset classes, you see different phases. Phase one was the regulatory phase. Obviously, that drove valuations. Phase two is the strategics are coming. And there's no question that these guys are playing offense, not defense. And the reality is that the valuations have to make sense if you've got an international market, which all these guys do. But ultimately, folks, this is a consumer products business. So all the focus on production and the cost of the underlying crop and what's going on here, I think, misses the point that these big boys know all about how to develop brands. And these big boys have developed big brands already in Canada. And that's why they are targets. That's why you should stay focused on them, because something may happen. So, Tim, I bought Canopy on Friday. I thought it was late to the, uh, to the game, I, I, and I, I said there might be so, still some steam left for the Bulls. There has. It's up 15% in basically a day, day and a half. But when Tilray reports, this has been about M&A. This has been, a, been about October 17th, that Canada date, that huge date. Will Tilray take all the helium out of the space when it starts to look at fundamentals across the space, or is that just a minor, minor speed bump? Look, uh, you said a couple different things. In terms of how you trade the sector right now, again, I was selling upside calls in Tilray uh, 60s. We talked about this on Options Action on Friday in Canopy. You've had a huge run. I think there's certainly a big chance you could pull back. And again, look at the valuations of the companies. And, and this is your cheapest company up there significantly, and then followed by Kronos, then Tilray. Um, Tilray has critical mass, has some very impressive investors on its board, et cetera. Um, but I think the dynamic here is investors need to look at things on a bottom-up level. Look for alignment, look for corporate governance issues. That's how you really should be looking at this sector, because right now you've had a 40 percent move in a week. A couple things. So Tim didn't even bring up the fact that big cap farm is probably going to get in this game at some point as well. That just adds yep. another layer to all this. And, you know, I like watching the NFL draft on TV. Mel, I oh, know yeah, you're a big sure. fan as well. Yeah. But what I really enjoy is when the analysts are at the board and they move players' names <laughs> over to a team. Oh, and i got to tell you something. Did. What Tim Seymour just did there. It's plasma Genius. history. Plas Magic. Plasma it's, history. It's fast money plasma history. Look, yeah. look at look, that. Look that's, at what we're doing here, yeah. guy. That's unbelievable. Boom. Just like that. That's Suddenly true. you've got a new can of marijuana beer, cannabis Genius. beer. Is that your name? Who knows? Who Bottom knows? line is you never you know. be sure these guys are all looking. All right. Thanks, Tim, for that. Thanks. Uh, we should note the Tilray CEO will be on the closing bell tomorrow after its earnings report. That's 4 p.m. Eastern time. All right. Can't get enough of the pot trade. You can head to optionsaction.cnbc.com for a breakdown on how to buy these surging stocks for less. And from cannabis to crypto, we are just 30 minutes away from CNBC's Bitcoin Boomer Bust documentary. We've got two huge crypto guests to get you ready for the big debut. Roger Veer, a.k.a. Bitcoin Jesus, and Litecoin founder Charlie Lee. They'll both be here in just a few minutes. Much more fast right after this. Come on, Mel. <laughs> no? Okay. I could see you in, in the, the Danny Zuko role. 100%. Yeah. You know, you know, Pete played Danny Zuko in the production of Grease at is, his high school. Is, is this, what is, this is Grease? This is Grease. Oh, come on, don't <laughs> feign ignorance. I just, just you know, in case people out there don't know. How about Kanicki? It for, has for been a summer of loving for Red Hot Chip Stock. AMD, the stock has been on fire, soaring an impressive 87% in the past three months, adding a whopping $11.5 billion in market cap in that time. Hence the car that looks like the one from the classic movie, 
Greece. I see. Uh, so do you stick with AMD or has it run too far, too fast? Tim, what do you say? I tell you, I, I, I would be fading this one. It's obviously been a great run. I have not been in the name. I think the semis as a group actually look kind of interesting here after what's been really sideways to down action. Intel is the best of the bunch to me. Uh, 11 times next year's earnings. I think the CEO changed. Not as big of a deal. The 10 nan nanometer chip that's coming out, I think uh, the guidance also on the second half of the year was particularly conservative. And I think there's room for them to, to surprise on the upside. I, you know, I think the way to play these, if you're in them, why don't you try some of those upside calls or something like that, right? I mean, it still has momentum. I'm still in AMD. Uh, so I would, you know, I'd be cautious. I don't know if I'd put an extra dollar in it today, but I don't think it's time to sell it. I think on the other side of it, the chip space, I would be a seller of AMD. I bought it below $10. I traded it up 10%. I thought I hit a home run. Now you see this rip-roaring rally that it's yeah. had. I'd go to NVIDIA. NVIDIA is up 43% year-to-date. Mm -hmm. Internet of Things, gaming, uh, the, the autonomous car. I think they check a lot of boxes. I'd be long NVIDIA, even at these levels. Oh, that's, that's a good would-you-rather, wouldn't it? Oh, be I like that game. Rather? Maybe let's, we let's play, play the game. That? Okay, let's play that. I didn't hear what you said. AMD or NVIDIA? Oh, would you rather, would that you is. Would you rather? Glad you asked. AMD. And I listen, it's easy to say pull the ripcord here. The stock's going from 10 to 25. Great. But you've seen twice over the last 20 years or so AMD go from like $10 to $40 and give it all back. It's happened twice. Feels like it's going to happen again. Goldman Sachs upgraded its stock to neutral from sell a couple weeks ago. Guess who's going to have to upgrade it again? Goldman Sachs. A lot of analysts as well. Cowan's been out front of this thing. They're taking on Intel on data center. Their margins are great. Wonderful CEO. So I think this still has room to the upside. All right. Well, um, BK had mentioned options. Options traders are betting AMD's big run is far from over. Let's get to Mike Coe in San Francisco with more. Hey, Mike. Hi there. So, yeah, this is actually setting some records over here. This thing traded over a million calls today. When I was looking at these earlier, the most active were the weekly 26 calls, and it had traded about double its average already high volume, but it was over five times by the end of the day. These calls, the 26 strike calls that expire this coming Friday, traded almost 100,000 contracts. And BK said, don't commit a dollar. Well, they were committing about 80 cents to make bullish bets. That's about 3% of the current stock price that the stock could be as much as 6% higher from where it closed at the end of the day. And I'm kind of with everybody on the desk here. I think committing money to the stock would be pretty, pretty reckless at this point, given its wild hockey stick-like move. All right, Mike, thanks for that. For more options action, you can check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead, from summer loving to a summer of discontent for altcoins as a number of big names get absolutely crushed in the last few months. Which ones can survive the purge? We will ask Litecoin founder Charlie Lee for a very special Fast Goes Crypto you won't want to miss. That's right after this break. Talk to me about who you see the threat is in terms of your safety. Who are you guys afraid of? Um, security through obscurity, so I can't talk about it. What happens if somebody kidnaps you and they say, we want X number of Bitcoin and they're given that cryptocurrency? Do they get away? Are they not traceable anymore? I'm not going to answer that. Because the answer is yes. Oh. Wow. That was Justin, the crypto kid, as he is known when I asked him nice. about threats to his personal safety as he sits on a fortune built on Bitcoin. You can catch the rest of the interview tonight uh, and a lot of other characters in the doc uh, in the original documentary, Bitcoin Boomer Bust, uh, where we take you through the good, the bad and the ugly of the cryptoverse. And we are just minutes away from the premiere 
Uh, this on a day where Bitcoin is trying to make its way back to 7,000, which it hit just at the start of August. But while the cryptocurrency has failed to see a breakout, it has been outperforming altcoins, which have had a dismal summer. Bob Pisani's got all the details from the NYSC. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. It's looking like a summer of pain for cryptos in general. Bitcoin is holding up in the last two months. It's up 10 percent, but it's still down 48 percent this year. Don't kid yourself. But that's nothing compared to the competition. Take a look. Ether is down about 40 percent this summer, 61 percent for the year. But it swung from $1,400 in January to $277 today. This is just amazing volatility. Really the same, though, with Litecoin, down almost 30 percent this summer, 73 percent for the year. Ripple also down about 30 percent in the last two months, 83 percent year to date. Ouch. And now while this summer has been bad for Bitcoin's competitors, overall, everything has dropped about 60 percent this year. And that's the way to look at it. The total value of all cryptocurrencies currently $218 billion, down from $572 billion at the end of December. That's a drop of about 60%. It peaked, by the way, $820 billion. That was right after the start of the year on January 7th. Bitcoin right now, $116 billion market cap. That's about half the $220 billion market cap it hit at the end of 2017. So what happened? Could I name the ways? The SEC denying a Bitcoin ETF. A sell-off in emerging market currencies was a problem. Continuing revelations about break-ins and thefts at some exchanges. A continuing crackdown on crypto trading overseas. It all adds up to a season of hell for the crypto bulls. It's not clear that retail investors have permanently lost their risk appetite, but the experience this summer will certainly make many of them more cautious about long-term buy and hold if and when we get, if and when we get a fall rally. 2018 shaping up to be the dot-com summer for crypto investors. Can't wait to see the special, Melissa, and all those weird people you interviewed. Good heavens. We've strange, got, main, we've got some mainstream people, too, but I don't want everybody to think that, you know, people in crypto are all like uh, Tiger Paws and people like BK. There's some mainstream people, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, Bob, thanks. Bob Bassani at the NYSC. Well, Bitcoin may have outperformed altcoins, but our next guest doesn't think it's the cream of the crypto world because tonight's documentary is such a momentous event that explores the highs and lows of Bitcoin. We thought we'd kick off our own Bitcoin special with none other than Bitcoin Jesus himself, Roger Veer. He joins us now on the phone from South Korea. Roger, good morning to you. Good morning or good afternoon to you in New York. <laughs> good afternoon to you. Um, let's kick it off right with Bitcoin Cash because that's, that's where you're putting your, um, all your eggs in, in terms of the crypto basket. It's down about 35% this month. Does the price tell us the story of Bitcoin Cash in terms of the adoption and the use of Bitcoin Cash for transactions, do you think? So a moment ago, I heard the announcer talk about the reasons why he thought the market was down, but I think he left out the most important reason, and that's that BTC, Bitcoin, uh, is no longer, or at least last December, wasn't usable for commerce at all. The fees became high, the transactions became slow and unreliable, and people like myself and everybody else that was trying to actually use it for commerce stopped and switched to something else, and that something else looks most likely to be Bitcoin Cash for the most number of people. And yeah, it's down a lot this year, but I remember when I bought my first Bitcoins at about a dollar, and they went all the way up to $30 that summer in 2011, and then dropped all the way back down to $2, so more than a 90% drop um, over the next year there. But in investing or in hockey, you don't skate to where the puck is currently. You skate to where it's going to be in the future. And it's very, very clear that all the adoption and the merchants and all sorts of businesses are being built on top of Bitcoin Cash at this point. So for the future, I think Bitcoin Cash is the best investment standpoint. And, 
But I, I don't recommend anybody, don't put all of your investments into cryptocurrency and don't put all of your cryptocurrency investment into one single cryptocurrency. Diversify, diversify, diversify is the name of the game when it comes to investing. So what, is your, what does your crypto portfolio look like right now, Roger? Uh, I hold more Bitcoin Cash than anything else, but I have some Ether, I have some Zcash, some Zcoin, some Monero, some Dash, uh, and I still hold, hold some BTC as well. So a little bit of everything is a, is a good idea. And, of course, uh, some Ripple and Stellar, and, you know, take your pick. Diversify, diversify, diversify is the name of the game. Are you more diversified in your portfolio than you were, say, a year ago? Um, so it was maybe two, maybe even three years ago now, I saw the writing on the wall in regards to the BTC people not wanting Bitcoin to be able to scale, to be used for money. And they had this just absolutely insane idea in their mind that high fees and slow transactions and network congestion was a good thing. And they literally talked about popping the champagne when fees hit $50 per transaction on the BTC network. And I saw that coming down the line, and that's what inspired At that point, I owned like 99% of my cryptocurrency holdings were in Bitcoin BTC. And it was when I saw this just crazy economic talk from these people talking about how high fees are a good thing that uh, that inspired me to diversify into a bunch of other cryptocurrencies. And at the time I did that, Bitcoin's market share was like 99% of all the cryptocurrencies. And today it's uh, somewhere south of 50%. And I think it's going to continue to go lower because they're openly cheering for high fees and slow transactions on the Bitcoin BTC network, which is just insane to anybody that realizes that cryptocurrencies are supposed to be usable as a currency. And currencies don't have high fees and slow transactions just to use them. Hey, Roger, it's BK. So I'm curious on Bitcoin Cash. There's been some uh, ripple, some problems with the community. Are we going to have multiple Bitcoin caches? Is the community irreparably damaged? I, I think that's very, very unlikely. Um, there's, def- I, there's always arguing within every Bitcoin or every cryptocurrency community. Uh, but a bunch of the Bitcoin Cash miners are flying out to Bangkok in about 24 hours here. And we're all going to sit down in person and talk about exactly what the what we think as miners should be the future for this. And uh, I think things will probably be settled by that. So uh, that's happening here in, in less than 48 hours. So a big Bitcoin kumbaya, Bitcoin cash kumbaya happening in uh, Bangkok. Yeah, so Jihan Wu, Bitman will be there. I'll be there. Uh, Calvin Air, uh, you know, Canadian billionaire, uh, gambling mobile will be there. A whole bunch of interesting people will be there. And uh, I think it'll, I hope it will end with a bunch of kumbaya singing, but it, it very well may not. But uh, I don't think it's going to result in a, in a split, uh, additional split with Bitcoin Cash. I think that's the, the least likely outcome. All right, Roger, thanks so much for putting into FAST. And thank you for participating in the documentary. Hope you'll tune in. Um, as you see in the quarter of your screen, we're about 11 minutes away from the premiere of Bitcoin Boomer Bust tonight on CNBC. So we'll want to watch that. Um, this uh, rift in the Bitcoin Cash community, does this make you think twice about investing in Bitcoin Cash? Well, it certainly made Bitcoin Cash, I, at least I think, underperform, like right? East so, Coast, West Coast rappers. It is. Right. And it's, yeah. but, uh, you know, to Good be point. fair, it's not, it's not unusual, right? What we're talking about is a group of people trying to come to consensus and figure out what the best path forward is. So just like in Washington, D.C., we have disagreements and ultimately you come together. But the difference here is you can split off and you can have a fork. So, you know, it, it is a concern. Uh, but if they can resolve it at this meeting, then that actually would be positive. This is a, some meeting, though, isn't it? I mean, this is a real summit I of, mean, of who's who in this uh, Bitcoin cash world. It is. It is. And, and uh, Jihan Wu. Would we Wu, see the, the price move if something is, I is think sort you of agreed upon? I think you could. I mean, Jihan Wu, who's the head of Bitmain, he's yes. going to do an IPO. Their financials have come out. They own a lot of Bitcoin cash. Certainly, they have an economic incentive uh, to get this resolved. So we'll but see. But what, what would be the resolution? 
the, what would it would yeah. be an agreement on what the software is going to look like going forward. So there's a lot of I don't want to get too technical in it, but there's disagreements over what the software should look like, what the rules should be. If they can come to some kind of agreement and say we are going to have one Bitcoin cash, that would be helpful. All right, under 10 minutes to a Bitcoin boomer bust nice. here on CNBC. So don't go anywhere. In the meantime, uh, Litecoin founder Charlie Lee will weigh in on the crypto craze. Much more fast. Still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're less than 10 minutes away from the premiere of CNBC's new Bitcoin boom or bust documentary covering everything from the wild price swings to whether or not the crypto craze is just a scam. For more on this, let's bring in Charlie Lee, the founder of Litecoin. He's joining us now from San Francisco. Charlie, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, it seems like Bitcoin or it feels like Bitcoin is in sort of a purgatory in terms of trading. When do you think it could get up to uh, its past highs of more than 20,000? I mean, it's, it's hard to predict prices. Um, I'm from, I've been in this space for uh, seven years now. I think sometimes it comes back within six months, a year. Sometimes it takes like three or four years. So it's kind of hard to say. What do you think price tells us about uh, the cryptocurrency or the network on which it's built? I mean, does it, does it tell us anything about adoption? Does it tell us anything about viability? I'm just wondering, when we look at the price of Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency, what, what is that a measure of in your view? I think uh, in, the, in terms of long term, it tells us uh, the success of cryptocurrency. But short term, it doesn't really tell us much. For example, this year, there's been so much adoption in Bitcoin and Litecoin, but the price have dropped like 60, 70 percent. So I think um, it's because it's so volatile. It's, it's all about speculation these days. So, but in the future, um, the price will reflect the, the success of cryptocurrencies. You, the last time we spoke to you, I believe, um, you had recently sold all of your Litecoin position, um, and I'm not sure what price that was or where is it in relation to, to where the price is today, Charlie, but do you see this sort of this reprieve in price, <laughs> the decline, as a buying opportunity? Uh, for me, I sold because of conflict of interest, so I'm not going to buy back my big uh, Litecoins anytime soon or at all. Um, but I think it's, it's always good to buy on the way down to average dollar cost average or your buy-in. Um, that's what I would recommend people to do. And as long as you don't spend money that you can't afford to lose, mm -hmm. I think that's fine. I think it's really bad for people who like mortgage their house, put all their money into a coin, and then watch it drop like 80%. But as long as you can afford to, I'd say like spend some money buying some crypto is perfectly fine. Hey, Charlie, it's BK. So you've got the Litecoin Summit coming up uh, September 14th and 15th. What do you want the takeaway from that to be? What do you, what do you expect coming out of that? I like people to focus on technology, on adoption, merchant adoption, and also how to scale. So things like Lightning Network or sidechains helping Bitcoin and Litecoin scale. I like to see more talk around that. And I think with the price currently depressed, it's actually a good time for people to actually um, sit down and have their head down and actually work and get stuff done. And that's what I've seen in the past, um, past few bear markets, actually. All right, Charlie, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, we hope you'll come back on the show soon. Charlie Lee 
founder of Litecoin, joining us from San Francisco. Could this be, summit be a, a catalyst? It could be. In the past, that has been, you know, any of these conferences um, and summits have been catalysts. This year, that, had, that as a trading style hasn't worked that well. Um, there's some really interesting things going on with Litecoin. Uh, Charlie mentioned the Lightning Network. That's been up and operating on Litecoin. Elizabeth Stark has been working on that. So there is some really amazing things going on, despite the depressed price. Mm -hmm. um, some real techn technological advancements. Yep. All right. Up next, final trades. Final trade, Tim. I'm watching this Bitcoin special, and then I'm buying some EWG because I think Germany's oversold. BK. Uh, you know, I still think oil is the most important trade out there. OIH, look at that one. Steve. Ford, if it could break above 10 and hold 10, I'm going to be a buyer this week. Gee. I got that Sony Betamax. It's ready to tape the Bitcoin. Yeah, the last remaining Betamax tape on the face man, of the Man, oh, wow. man. I'm on sort of with BK, but Marathon Oil Ooh, looks like nice. it wants to break out above 22 bucks. All right, that does it for us here on Fast. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. CNBC's special Bitcoin boomer bust premieres right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.